Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and open them to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And this morning, our focus will be on verse 13 and 14. If you would stand with me as we pray and ask God's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of His Word, and then I'll read Scripture. Let's pray. Now, blessed God, we come now this morning to consider the question, or the proposition of the way and the paths that we are on. Is it the broad way that leads to destruction, or are we on the narrow path with many difficulties Yet, it leads to life. Father, we pray that in Christ you would come and teach us the meaning, Lord, of this passage. And help us to consider the path we are on. As we, Lord, consider whether we are followers of Christ or the followers of this world. Lord, come and bless us. With this teaching, come and melt our hearts to receive it. Come and make our hearts ready and prepared to receive all that is is learned, Lord, from your word. That we would be the true disciples of the blessed Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Now, beloved, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. We continue this morning to discuss the topic of discipleship and the gospel. Helping us understand what it is to be a true and real disciple of Jesus Christ by understanding the gospel itself. You see, if we begin with a faulty gospel, if we begin with a gospel that isn't complete, are accurate, are are true, then, well, we cannot be the genuine disciple of Jesus Christ by accepting a false gospel. To be a true and genuine disciple of Christ means you've accepted the real and true and genuine gospel of Christ. And so we have spent... The last three or four Sundays, looking at various passages of Scripture, those passages that we know of, we are familiar with, and and passages we cite regularly in discussions with others about discipleship. And I pray that this morning would not be any different or there would, not, there, there would be as much light in this morning's message concerning true discipleship in the gospel as there have been over the last several Sundays. 
Now, brothers and sisters, we need to take note of what our Lord is saying in this sermon. He's bringing this sermon to conclusion. And like our Lord does so many times, He's bringing, uh, uh, He is putting before the people a choice. They must make a decision. The disciples hearing our Lord preach the gospel have to make a decision. They have to make a choice. They cannot remain in neutrality. or They're either going to remain in this darkened, hardened, sinful state. Or they're going to be born again, have faith in Christ, and enter into this blessed communion with the Lord Jesus. Our Lord is speaking these words even to us this morning because He is wanting us to make a decision. He's wanting us to choose between two ways. And isn't that what He has done all along in these messages? See, there's nothing new here. There's nothing far out that we can't grasp and understand about the gospel, is there? I love what the confession says. Everything that is necessary to be known to be saved can be understood by the smallest of children. There are only two ways. There's only two possibilities of our state, our human condition, of the realities of our lives. And that's what Jesus has constantly taught us in the various passages that we've looked at. This morning is no different, of all, uh, no different at all. There's two ways that we must consider. If we are going to sort of look at this as a conclusion, as a test to our discipleship, whether we are true and real disciples of Jesus Christ or not. False disciples, false professors, those who really don't understand the commitment of true discipleship, those who really don't understand the gospel itself. That's, that's, that's what we're looking at. That's, that's really where we are and, and what we need to see here. Let's just examine briefly the words that Jesus is using in this text. I think we'll find them interesting in and of itself. Notice in verse 13, the command to enter through the narrow gate. Now what does this mean? Well, first of all, Jesus is demanding that we make the right choice. Enter the narrow gate. Do it. Whatever it takes. If there is anything encumbering you from entering the narrow, small gate, get rid of it. And he tells us why. He says because it's the narrow gate that leads to life. If you have not entered into the narrow gate, the supposition here is that you have that you're on the broad way, the broad path. He says, "No, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction." 
I think Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was very accurate and correct when he said, there is probably no accusation levied against Christians more than this one. That they are narrow-minded. Have you ever been accused of being narrow-minded? Have you ever been accused of not being a man or the woman of the world, not having the broad perspective, not having the, the, you know, the, the perspective that is pleasing to everyone around you? Have you ever been accused of being narrow-minded in a very derogatory way? Because the world doesn't like this kind of narrowness. And yet, beloved, the challenge for us this morning or the test for us this morning as the disciple of Jesus Christ is, are you narrow-minded? And you better be. The command is to be narrow. The command is to be narrow in perspective of all that Jesus Christ teaches us about Himself and the life we are living. How does that affect you knowing that as a disciple of Jesus Christ you need to be narrow but you need to you need to glory in that narrowness do you have a problem with that this morning is that does that rub you the wrong way does that even chafe you in some way you can say well I think I can be a disciple of Jesus Christ another way I don't need to be as narrow as the scriptures But see, that's exactly the thinking of those on the broad way. That's exactly the way they think. They don't want the narrow way. See, they don't want to walk through the narrow gate because they don't want to have to give up much. I can give up a few things, but not everything I need to give up. Yeah. We know exactly what I'm talking about, don't we? Sometimes we, in this, in this self-righteousness, pride ourselves in kind of getting rid of the big sins and keeping some of the little ones we pamper the most. The pride, prejudice, arrogance. The ability to be mean when we deem it right to be mean to others because we've been offended. To go through the narrow gate, my brothers and sisters, is to give all of that up and to put it away. I hope this morning, by the end of the message, we will see not just that we need to be narrow in many things, but that we will delight in being narrow. That you would actually delight in being a real disciple of Jesus Christ. That you would take delight in thinking His thoughts after Him. That you would take delight in seeing the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ as your path to walk. Amen. That you would not hesitate at all to be narrow where you need to be narrow. Now brothers and sisters, let's consider the text this morning by the contrast the text makes. First of all, it's the contrast of entrances. There's a narrow gate and there's a broad gate. There's a large entrance 
And there's a very, very small entrance. The large entrance can encompass a multitude of people walking through it. The masses. The great masses of people can enter into this broad gate. But there's the other gate, the narrow gate. This gate is so narrow, only one can enter it at a time. That's the point that Jesus makes here. You can read it this way. You enter in the narrow gate. You and you and you and you enter the narrow gate. Singularly, individually walk through this gate. Now brothers and sisters, please do not misunderstand the teaching here. The point being is that Jesus Christ doesn't preach a broad message to the masses and just ask the masses to accept who He is. Please, in a very broad sense, accept me as the Son of God. Accept me as the one who has come down from heaven and just know that I am the eternal Son of God. No, the Lord Jesus doesn't do that. Though that is an implication of His incarnation and glory. What does He come and do? He comes down and He says, Do you, who do you believe that I am? Yeah. Who do you say that I am, Peter? Put your name there. Who do you think I am? I know what they are saying, but who do you think I am? See, the Lord Jesus brings it out of its general category and He brings it down to a very personal level, doesn't He? He brings it down to the individual. He brings it down to each one of you sitting right there in your chair as an individual. Not as a couple, not as a family, but as a person, a man, a woman. One made in the image of Jesus Christ. Who do you think I am? You enter the narrow gate by yourself. You're not going to be able to go on the righteousness of your mom and your dad. You're not going to be able to go on the righteousness of any other person. You must make this determination yourself. You have to make this choice. Wide is the entrance, Jesus Says. And notice what he says about this entrance. He says, the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. I mean, right there, our Lord is trying to motivate us and provoke us to do what? Consider if we are on the broad way to get off of it. Get off of it. And you might think of it this way. You might think of it this way. One of the most important questions you can ask about a gate that you enter that leads to a pathway, that leads to a road, is this. Where will it take me? Hmm? Will this gate... And this pathway take me where I want to go. 
Isn't that the real question we need to ask? I mean, how many of us hardly set out on a destination without knowing, does this road, will this, will this course get us to where I need to go? I mean, that, that's the reality here. You're going somewhere. You enter into this broad way. You enter or you enter into this narrow way. Where is it going to take me? Where will I end up if I enter the broad gate? Where will I end up if I enter in through this narrow gate? Where will it take me? What's going to be my destination? Now, I will, before I spend too much time talking about the destination, you have a broad entrance. You have one that's noticeable. You have one that hardly needs any guide to get you there. It's the broad. It's large. It's big. There's a lot of people going through it. Yet, there are guides that will take you there. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus gives us a warning about these guides. In verse 19, he says of chapter 5, he says, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments, that is his law, his Ten Commandments, and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now notice what he says about these men or these teachers that teach that teach the masses to break God's law. To break His commandments. To not follow Him. To not serve Him. To not see Him truly as He is in His Word. He says He's going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Turn back to Matthew chapter 7. Look what Jesus says right after verses 13 and 14. Beware of the false the prophets. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but beware. Beware of these guides. Beware of these teachers. And that's what a teacher is. A teacher is a guide. In a very spiritual sense, the teacher is leading you down a pathway. He encourages you to enter into a certain gate and to walk a certain path. This way is broad. These two entrances are contrasted with one another. There's a broad way. And there's a very narrow way. Let me give you some examples of our own day and time of broadness. And I'm, and I'm really speaking in reference to not the world itself, but to Christians. Let me, let me qualify that. To professing Christians who are highly confused are just plain out, I think, dull or ignorant about what the Word of God says on these topics. Let me give you a couple of topics. Topics of race, uh, the topics of sex and gender. What's the broad understanding of sex and gender? It's my body. I can do what I want. I mean, it's mine. It's mine to do with what I put. You cannot tell me what to do with my body. If I want to show it off to the world, I'll show it off to the world. If I want to use it for pleasure, I'll use it for pleasure. If I want to change my body to display another sex, 
then I am free to do so. You see, as long as we stick within those categories, guess what? There's acceptance, isn't there? As long as we think broadly in those categories, there's acceptance. But what's the narrow way? Who made you? What did God make you? He made you in His image. He made you male or female in His image. He made you for His own glory. He made you so that your sexuality would glorify Him. In a certain context, in a certain environment. He made you to enjoy that sexuality in the right context and perspective. But that's not popular, is it? See, schools speak down to the young lady or the young man that believes in biblical abstinence. I'm not talking about pagan abstinence. Biblical abstinence. Why am I abstaining from this? Because God is not pleasing to God. Because that's not what God designed it for. God designed it for marriage. But you see, as long as you embrace the broad aspects of these philosophies, guess what? You're on the broad path. You're accepted, aren't you? You're not ostracized. You're not made fun of. Oh, you believe? You believe in that? And we can talk about sex and gender, but I do want to talk about marriage, right? If we, if we hold marriage to be some type of social convention that evolved with the society of man over millions of years, and then who cares who you marry? You can marry a woman. You can marry a man. You can marry your dog. You can marry your horse. Whatever. Whatever floats your boat. Those are the discussions that are taking place. There's another discussion taking place in our own American legislature, and it's that of legalizing polygamy. Just have many husbands and many wives. I can imagine what it'll be if we continue on this downward moral slide into darkness. What it'll be like when your children or children's children are out on the playground and they say, Hey, meet my five mothers. Well, you know how to handle You know, what will we do as Christians? We'll just pass out. Because we're so just shocked. Where everything is going. Oh, hey, here's here's my five daddies. Oh, hey, here's here's our child. Well, it looks like a little girl. It talks like a little girl, but it's a boy because she wants to be a boy. Or here's a little boy who talks like a little boy, who looks like a little boy, but he's a girl. If you don't mind, refer to him as a she. We'd appreciate it. If you don't do that, you're going to be, well, you're not going to be accepted. Okay? Marriage is the same way. What about racism? We talk in these broad categories, right? You know how we do it all the time? Well, all those people are bad. 
What's the narrow way to do this? The narrow way is to judge every man by his own character and actions. Right? Racism, just like gender, is a hot button topic today. And there's all this broadness. There's all this throwing stuff around. And what do you see Christians doing? Well, you know, you can't really do anything about it. Well, you just kind of accept it because that's the way it is. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, look, the broad path leads to what? Destruction. If you think in these broad terms and never consider what I have to say and teach about the topics of racism and prejudice, you are on the path of death. But my path leads to life. It's the path of life. Oh, and be careful. Be careful. And we all know, right? Because if you don't accept the broad and general terms of racism, then you're a what? A racist. Right? Yeah, if you don't accept their definition of things, guess what happens? If you try to narrow it down and deal with it in the light that our Lord Jesus teaches us how to deal with all men made in His image, you're a racist. And I said this in a previous sermon. We need to be more concerned about who, what Jesus thinks about us, right? Than what the world thinks about us. There's another topic here I'm going to bring up. Well, I could bring up so many more because there were some. But what about the environment? We think broadly about the environment. You know, we're getting more and more into environmental worship is what we're doing. We worship the environment. Animals have a human status today. You know, um, you know, I mean, I can see laws coming and they've already been talked about in making about whether or not the animal can stay outside in the heat in the summer. Right. That's an that's a, that's a unfair treatment to the animal because they are on par with man. Now, if you accept that and you don't challenge that and you're okay, guess what? You're on the broad path. You have to narrow that down and make a distinction between the animal life and guess what? Human life made in the image of God. There's a difference. There's a difference. I've always been reminded of the beach we would go to or we have been in the past of the sea turtles that want to come up and that do come up in its season, and they lay their eggs on the shore, there is greater persecution for the person, man or woman, who touches those turtles than aborting a child. There's greater protection for a turtle, sea turtle egg, than for that human being that grows in the womb of its mother. One is the broad path, brothers and sisters. And the other one is the narrow way of our Lord Jesus. And there's a distinction. There are differences. There are contrasts. They're not the same. Who is guiding you? Who are your influences? See, that's really the question here. The narrow way. What do we say about the narrow way? You got the wide way. You got the wide entrance and the masses walk through it. And you got the narrow way. The narrow way is the way of repentance. 
Repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is, is agreeing with God with what He says about Himself and about us and agreeing with Him. You're a sinner. Yes, Lord, I am a sinner. You need to repent of these sins. Yes, Lord, I need to repent of these sins. That's when you're walking through the narrow gate, you've got to put off sin and you have got to squeeze in the narrow gate. There's no room for the baggage of indulgences and sinful desires. You can't get through the gate like that. You have to... That has to come off. And how does that come off? You have to take that pack off. How does that come off? It comes off in repentance. That, that original and daily repentance that the Christian engages in because they are a true disciple of Jesus Christ. It's believing and trusting in Christ. I cannot earn my way to eternal life. I cannot save myself. Only Jesus can save me. Only He can put away these sins and mortify them in me. Only He can lead me to eternal life. I put my faith, I rest in Him. And that's what it is to put your faith in Christ. That's the narrow way. The world has no problem. Broadly speaking, who's Jesus? Oh, he's a great teacher. Hmm, that's not going to get you anywhere. There have been a lot of good teachers. And I would say there's probably been a lot of great teachers. Well, maybe he's the greatest of the great. So what? Maybe he was the best philanthropist we've ever had. That's ever walked the face of the earth. I mean, he's a man full of good deeds. So what? That's the broad perspective of Christ. But beloved, enter into the narrow gate. Jesus is the Son of God. Son of man. Jesus left glory and laid aside His privileges and prerogatives to, be in, to put on flesh, to be born in a manger, to be born of a virgin woman. A virgin woman who had never known any man. To be conceived within her womb. To be born in a manger. To live a life of obscurity and hardship. In a poor condition. To rise to the point where he was baptized. Where he took his role in ministry. To come and seek and save that which is lost. To be nailed to a cross. To be falsely accused. And to rise again on the third day. You see how... Particular and narrow that gets. And you got to, that's the narrow gate. It's not just Jesus is a good teacher. It's that Jesus comes to teach the ways of God. You need to walk ye in it. Jesus comes to shed his blood. Oh, he just, just comes to save. It's not that Jesus is a savior. Oh, I believe that Jesus saves. But do you believe he shed his blood for your salvation? That His blood was poured out for you. See, that's more particular, isn't it? That's narrowing it down. It's becoming uncomfortable. Wait a minute. It's like when the Lord Jesus said, Look, you want to be my disciple, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Oh, we can't do that. That's gross. Then you can have none of me. See, He knew they were after miracles. He just wanted Him to make bread. They just wanted Him to do good deeds. See, that's the broad way, beloved. You see it? Do you see it? Jesus deals with the broad way. I'm spending a lot of time on this. 
Jesus deals with the broad way in the Sermon on the Mount. No, you, you know, you look at how you view marriage. You view marriage as just easy divorcism. Just write out this certificate of divorce. I, no big deal. But I'm here to tell you marriage is between a man and a woman. And it's to be forever, if at all possible. And the only, only condition of divorce is that of unfaithfulness, immorality. Immorality. Oh, today the, the, the divorces, the divorce rate in the church is as high as it is in the world. Why is that? Because they're on the broad way. The broad way. This is a this narrow way is a way of repentance and faith, beloved. You've heard me say this many times over the last several weeks. Self-denial. The broad path, you don't have to deny anything. You don't have to take anything off to get in. You don't have to take anything off. It's big enough for the masses to walk through. And it's big enough for you to walk through with all of your stuff. Take it with you. But not when it comes to the being a disciple of Christ. You've got to deny self. Jesus talked over in Matthew chapter 6, a man cannot serve two masters. For he will learn to love one and hate the other. You can't have two masters. It's a life of mortification and sin, beloved. This, this narrow gate is the gate of mortification. Chapter 5, verse 29. Listen to these words. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's the narrow way. That's not the broad way. The broad way is nothing more than amendments. I mean, people can quit drinking, they can quit smoking, they can quit fussing, they can quit fighting, but those are amendments. We're talking about the mortification of sin. I'm still that person, I just don't do those things. Alright? You know what I'm talking about? You, You listening? See, I'm still that person, I just don't do those things because I don't want the consequences of those things, but I'm still the person. I'm still that man. And I'm still that woman. Jesus is talking about radical amputation. A reading of ourselves of that evil character and desire to be a child of God. To be a child of the King of Glory. Where we are no longer liars, thieves, murderers, uh, uh, fornicators. All of those things that Jesus preaches against. He says, you know what? We become new creations in Christ Jesus. That's the narrow way. Secondly, beloved, notice the contrast of the paths. There's an easy path and there is the difficult path. That's no, it's implied, certainly, I think, in the text itself. Back over in Matthew 7, 13, it says, For enter through the narrow gate... For the gate is wide and the way is broad. The way is broad. Not only is the gate wide, but the way is broad. It doesn't have any encumbrances in it. Or at least very, very, very few. It leads to destruction. 
And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small. Now notice, the way is narrow that leads to life. The way itself is narrow. What does it mean? What's the picture here? The picture here is like two mountains that are so tight and close together. But the only way to the other side of the mountain is you've got to go through that path. And you have got to squeeze in the path. You've got to work your body. And you're going to get scratched. And you're going to get cut. And guess what? You're going to get pruned. You see, when we come in believing and trusting in Jesus Christ, we repent of our sins. We put our faith and trust in Him. What does Jesus do along the way? He prunes us. He molds us. He shapes us. He grinds off that rough, sinful character. He and he replaces it with righteousness and, and not, not, not saving justification righteousness, but sanctifying righteousness. Where we are changing as men and women to the glorious image of our blessed Savior. We have to move and we get stuck sometimes and we got to work to get our way out of it. That's the path. But you look at that and you go, no way am I going in there. There's nothing that appeals to me from walking in that. I think I'll take the broad way. I can walk and talk with my friends. I can have a most delightful time. I don't have to give up much, if anything, at all. But that way right there, I can tell you, is not for me and many. What does the Bible say? Well, many see it that way. Many do see it that way. The point being, brothers and sisters, have we not learned to count the cost, right? To be the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know it means something. We know it requires something of us. Let me ask you this. How many of you ever thought the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of these epistles that we've gone through? We've gone through Hebrews. We've gone through Ephesians. We've gone through Philippians. We've gone through Colossians. We've gone through 1 Thessalonians. We've done an exposition of the Ten Commandments. I mean, how many of you thought, this is just way too much. I'm too burdened. I just can't take it anymore. Can we talk about something fun? Can we talk about happy things? That's the broad way. What are you being taught? What are you accepting? See, there's the easy, there's the go with the flow, isn't there? There's the acceptance. that we just accept what's out there. We accept this is the way it is. And why do I need to fight the system? I don't need to do any of that. I just need to go with the popular teaching of the day. Let me say this, brothers and sisters, and I'm going to move on. The more one sins before coming to Christ, the harder that way is. And I say that to you young people, because some of our older people, we know this to be true. We old people have learned this. But I'm speaking to you young people. This row, that third row, that back row, listen to me. Take note. If you indulge in the broad way, to the degree that you indulge in the broad way is how difficult the narrow way is going to be. Because you are going to train yourself in sinful habits and desires. And it's going to make the narrow way more difficult for you. 
there's going to be more hardships. Not going to be, it's not going to be impossible because with Christ all things are possible when it comes to saving man's soul. In Christ, he can deal with it. Where there is sin, grace will abound. I promise you that. But make no mistake about it. If you go and you want to indulge in this lifestyle and you come to Christ, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be more difficult for you. There's going to be more pruning. There's going to be more shaping. There's going to be more molding. And if you don't believe that that's not a biblical principle, ask any of us older people afterwards, and I'm sure we can tell you that in experiential ways. There is an easy way and there's a difficult way. Brothers and sisters, it's not easy following Jesus Christ, is it? It's not. He makes it sweet, doesn't He? Doesn't our Lord make it sweet by reminding us, oh yes, we are reminded this morning, right, how broad we have been, or maybe how broad we are being, or maybe how, what are we right now? Who are we being influenced by? Yet he is this, it's the sweetness of our Lord to go, Lord, I know that was me, but it's not any longer. Praise God, you have reminded me that I am on the narrow way. That's what we're talking about. I mean, with all of the the difficulties with Christ, I'm telling you, the sweetness of heaven, the savor of heaven, the savor of salvation far surpasses that. Amen. I love what one commentator said. He said, one minute in heaven. One minute. I think he's being a little too long. One minute in heaven is going to put this whole earth and its hardships behind you. You follow me? One one minute in glory in the blessed communion of Christ and of the brethren will make everything worth it, won't it? Well, let's look at this death in life, the contrast of destinations. Now notice, it's this idea of destruction, at least in this NASB, that leads to destruction. That's the idea here. This, this wide, popular, um, inclusive path is the path of destruction. It's not going to be the path of destruction. It's going to lead to ultimate destruction, but it's the path of destruction. Now, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the ruining. Listen, the idea in the original language is the ruining of life. The ruin of a person. When you embrace the broad and inclusive, non-judgmental, uber-tolerant life of the world around you, you are destroying yourself. It is a destruction to what you were made and created to be and to do. Be made in the image of God and made to enjoy Him and, and, and glorify Him forever and ever. It renders you in a ruined condition. You see, hell is nothing more than the continuation of that destruction. You don't live this life. You know what people say? I'm going to live. I'm young. I'm beautiful. I'm going to live it all. I'm going to have everything. I'm going to grab the world by the tail, man. I'm going to grab all the gusto I can get. I'm going to not deny myself of anything that I want. And I, I listen, I, I'm living. I'm, what do we hear? I'm living it up. The Bible says you're in ruin. You're living 
in a state of destruction. And hell will be nothing more than a ultimate, listen to me, ultimate continuation of your now condition. Does, you, does, ever, does that follow me? Am I making myself clear? You're in a state of destruction now. You're on the broad path. But that destruction is going to continue into the next life unless you change paths, right? Unless you choose the narrow way. That destruction is just going to follow you into eternity and then you will spend the rest of eternity in that destructive condition where you are judged for sin day and night forever. Now, the same is true for life. Now, follow me here. You don't just live this life and then all of a sudden you just have eternal life. Eternal life is the continuation of the life we have in Christ that started here. You follow me? It culminates. It continues. It culminates. It comes to its apex in eternity when we have glorified bodies, when we have been completely eradicated from all and every sinful thought, word, and deed where we are fully and completely renewed in Christ so that we can enjoy the communion with Christ in an unhampered, in an unhindered state. That's heaven. But it starts where? In this life. See, if you're living right now, you're on the narrow path. If you're on the broad path, you think you're living, but you're not. You're deluded. You think, you think this is living. You think indulgence is living. You think having no authority is living. It's not. It's the destructive state. You see, beloved, that's where men are. They're either in this state of ruin or they're in the state of life in Christ. And if they're not in Christ, they're in a ruined condition. And that ruined condition is going to follow them all the way into eternity where it will be ultimately the continuation of that destruction in hell. Just like life in Christ will be a continuation into glory in a perfected state where we, you know what? Where we praise God, it'll be the full sincerity of our hearts. And we won't have to contend with any evil desires or lust anymore. That's eternal life with Christ. Now let's look at the travelers. Let's contrast the travelers and this will be where we spend the rest of our time. Notice in these travelers, I I, want to make this point because of what Jesus says here when He says, enter through the narrow gate. He's talking to each one of us. He's talking to every person around Him. He's wanting each person to make this determination. Am I on the broad way that's leading to the ultimate ruin of life, a ruined life and the ultimate ruin of life, or am I on the narrow way that is life itself? Maybe difficult here because I've got a lot to contend with, but leads to eternal and blessed life in the next life. These two travelers, notice it's personal, it's particular, it's very precise. 
It's personal. It's particular. It's very precise. See, when it comes to the soul, beloved, you better be a precisionist. They're bad. I'm bad. Now I'm sinful. What makes you so sinful? I lie. I don't tell the truth. I want to please people. I want the accolades of people. I want to always be right. I never want to be wrong. I want to be esteemed. I want to be the best. I want to be better than everybody else around me, and I want them to recognize it. I don't want to do anything. I just want, I just want to be pampered. I want to be served. I don't want to serve. I want to be served. You see, when we talk about being bad, when you talk about being sinful, when we talk about being sinful, when you talk about how we're sinful, it's personal, it's particular, but it needs to be precise. That's the kind of travelers. That's the difference in the travelers that are on the narrow way and on the broad way. The broad way is, hey, we all sin, right? So what? We're all sinners. Hey, to err is what? To err is what? Human. What is that? What is that? That's the way the Broadway thinks. To err is human. Big deal. So what? You are making a big deal out of nothing. And yet you cannot be on the narrow way unless you deal with those. What did Jesus say? If your right eye causes you to stumble, do what? If your right hand, notice the right eye, the prominent eye, the right hand, the right hand, the dominant hand. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Because it's better to lose your dominant hand and your dominant eye and go to heaven than to keep them and be ruined forever. There's the contrast in the travelers. There are those who want to go with the flow. There are those who don't want to make waves. There are those who, you know, really consider, look, it costs too much to obey Jesus Christ. They don't want to mourn for their sins. They don't want to be gentle when they need to be gentle. They don't want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. They want to be merciful. They don't want to be pure in heart. They don't want to be peacemakers. They want to be able to look at a woman or a man and lust after them and have no consequences for it. They want to be able to get rid of their husbands and their wives at the drop of a hat if they so deem it necessary. It's the difference in the travelers versus the Christian who does what? Perseveres in the marriage even when it's very difficult, but because there is a king of glory, because there is a savior at hand, what does the married couple do? The Christian married couple, they work it out in Christ. They mend, they mold, they work together, and they bring glory to God. Same way with parent-child relationships. There's a difference here. Here's the question, beloved. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, you say, Pastor, I think so. I think so. Well, brothers and sisters, now listen to me. Who are you following? 
What teaching appeals to you? What teachers are you following? And remember Matthew 7, 21. They're going to be our, I'm sorry, yeah, 7, 21. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, there's going to be a lot of religious people. There's going to be a lot of religious people on the broad path. The easy way. There's a lot of religiosity. There's a lot of people that want Jesus, you know, in, in, in general categories. But not the particulars. He must be beloved to you, Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. See, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, beloved, is narrow. In the ways of the world, it's going to be viewed narrow. It's going to be personal. It's going to be precise. I mean, it's going to be something you've got to contend with yourself with. And, and praise God, there are teachers, there are pastors, there are elders, there are friends, there are family that can help you deal with self. But you still have to do it. You, your mama can't change you. Your daddy truly can't change you. We can, we can confine you. We can corral you up as children, but we can't change you. That's something Jesus can do. Same way with elders in the church. Can't change anybody. We can provide the teaching. We can provide the path. We can provide the direction. We can provide the goals, the motivation like Jesus is doing here. Great motivation. This path leads to destruction. This path leads to life. How much more motivation do you need? But we can't make a change. Can't make you love thy law. God's law and meditate on it day. I can't make you do that. So, beloved, here's the question. Did you enter this morning thinking that being narrow-minded is wrong? Insulting. If you did, and I hope you leave believing now that being narrow-minded is what a disciple of Jesus must be. Must be narrow-minded. Must be willing to be persecuted. Jesus said in the same sermon, Blessed are you if you are persecuted for my name's sake. If they persecute you because of me, blessed are you. That's the narrow way. The narrow way can be a lonely path. Doesn't have to be, but often it can be. And if it is, are you okay with that as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Now, beloved, how do we get there? I want to say, I don't want you to misunderstand me. This is not a sermon based upon human effort and a, and a desire to be what others are not. This is something that is, is the fruit of repenting of our sins and embracing Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Son of Man. This, this, this particular, these two verses come at the end of Jesus' sermon. He's demanding a choice be made. Will now, after I've taught you all these things, you've heard it said, but I tell you these things, now what path are you going to walk? What are you going to do? You're going to repent of your sins and believe and trust in me and walk the narrow path with me. Are you going to continue on the broad path that leads to destruction? I pray, brothers and sisters, that each one of us here this morning 
we'll all find our place between those two mountains. Narrow, confined, hard, but blessed be Jesus that that path is appealing to us because He's made us alive in Himself. Blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ because I would never choose that path in and of myself, Miss Bala. But the Lord Jesus says, walk ye in it. The Lord Jesus says, come and I will give you rest. Come, lay your burdens aside. Take my yoke upon yourself. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Oh, come, listen. Once you get here, I'm going to show you how sweet our communion will be as you walk between these two walls. Like I've already stated, one minute in glory, and guess what? It's all going to be forgotten. One minute in glory, and you will not ever think about what you, what you gave up here. It will not even be a consideration. Amen? Let's pray. And fathers, we have considered this broad path and this large gate and broad path have we considered this small gate and very confined path. Lord, help us in Christ follow the narrow way. Help us in the Lord Jesus to repent of our sins, embrace Christ for who He is as Lord and Savior, and let us give up the whole world for Him. Lord, continue to shape and mold us. Continue, O Lord, to work in us your blessed salvation that we would enjoy our life now. Even in this narrow way, we would enjoy the sweet communion we have with you. We would enjoy the righteousness we are practicing. We would enjoy the teaching of your word. We would enjoy biblical Bible teachers who call us to repent and to put off sin and to, Lord, flee to Christ. Oh, I pray, Father, if there be any here this morning that is on the broad path, oh, now you would give them life. You would point out the narrow way so clearly to them, and you would make it so appealing to them that they would not consider its smallness, that they would not even consider its loneliness, Lord, but that they would walk through that small gate and into that narrow pathway praising Your name. I pray that, Lord, for any here this morning. Bless us, O Lord, as we praise Your name and continue worshiping You in the taking of the Lord's Supper. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.